with us. Well, the teaching notes are available online. On the website, you can easily find those on forerunnerchurch.com. And this is a Mother's Day message. Uh, a couple years ago, I opened up a Mother's Day message by saying that I was gonna teach on the offspring of the Antichrist just to see everyone's responses. It was wildly rewarding. I don't even know if he has offspring, but anyways, people's eyes about fell out of their head. I just said, no, nah, I'm just kidding. We're gonna talk about mothers and celebrate women and how the Lord is moving in our midst in this way. So uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter one. And we're gonna look at verse 17. 1 Peter 1, 17. <laughs> Read this, about halfway through verse 17. Conduct yourselves throughout your time of your stay here in fear. Or live under the fear of the Lord, the reverence of God. Knowing, verse 18, that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Christ. That's what's redeemed women and mothers. He indeed was foredained foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times to you. Through him we believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Father, we come before you on this wonderful day of celebration, on this day of thanksgiving, where we see and celebrate, Lord, what you're doing in the earth and how you are establishing mothers and how you are establishing women in their full dignity and their calling and their honor before you. And we wanna see women and mothers in the way that you see them. We wanna have a spirit of revelation on our hearts for the men and the women, those that are joining us online. We wanna have a spirit of revelation to see and celebrate what you see and celebrate and that we would all the more be joined together as the family of God with one father before you. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, of course, I wanna honor my mother. She was here at the first service. I think she slipped out for this one, but Dee Bennett, I'm very grateful for my mom. She fervently prayed for us. Uh, I don't think she'd be upset to say that she didn't do uh, everything right. Just like every mother or individual, we don't do it all right. But very often I would find my mom uh, in her room with her Bible open, just praying, crying out to the Lord, sometimes with tears. Sometimes she would lock the door to keep us gremlins out and just be before the Lord. You know, just those sweet times, those sweet moments. I'm sure that she would say that she missed many of her prayer times and devotional times and all that, but I just, I remember finding her before the Lord and in prayer, and she would always pray for us. And every night before we went to bed, she would pray for us that we would have wisdom and revelation of Christ. Ephesians 1:17. even before it was popular, even before it was an apostolic prayer that we all knew and loved and prayed a ton, she would pray that for us, and she would contend for us, and she would get under my sister's bed and cry out for her that she would know the Lord in a deep and profound way. There's much more to that story, but because this is being recorded, I'm not gonna share it right now, you know? 
She had an unshakable strength and uh, just a faith and a resilience before the Lord. And this is what I love is now that I'm married to my wife, Morgan, who's sitting over here on the front row, is that I'm not just the recipient of the love and the affection of a mother, but I get to see it from a different perspective now. I get to see my wife live that way before our children. And time and time again, I am so provoked by the grace of God that is on her, by her patience, by her endurance, by her ability even in the midst of fatigue to say yes to the things of God. And I can say this confidently, I have more learned more about the gospel of Christ and the graciousness of Jesus through my wife than through any other person or individual. Because I've lived with her and I've seen her and I've seen her journey and her ups and downs and all of those things and yet she perseveres before the Lord. It is so beautiful and powerful. And my mother-in-law is here as well and she is a fiery woman of faith and before the Lord up early and praying and contending for a move of the Spirit in our generation. Leslie, I'm so glad you're here with us this morning. So man, my mom, my mother-in-law, my wife, all here this morning, don't screw this up, Isaac, okay? <laughs> Amen. One of the things that's so powerful and profound about motherhood and womanhood is that it displays mysteries of the character of God that we would not know otherwise. Do you know that? Do you know that women and mothers display characteristics and distinctives and the riches of God's glory in a way that men do not represent them. And it's these characteristics that we want to, as people and as a spiritual family, to see and to celebrate and to call forth because what is gonna be revealed in the age to come is gonna absolutely blow our minds. I'm reminded of the story in the Transfiguration when Jesus turns on the brights, so to speak. It says that his clothes begin to radiate the glory of God and he had turned on the brights, you know, and the, and the disciples are like, what is happening right now? And with him appear Moses and Elijah and they're so overcome by the glory that Moses and Elijah had that they go, let us make tabernacles of places of worship to you guys too. They were in full-blown idolatry in one second. My point is, is that the revelation of God's glory on women, on mothers, on daughters in the age to come is far going to exceed anything that we can dream up in this life. And I think there's an invitation from the Lord to get on board with his plans and purposes now. And even as we see dimly, even as we see through squinty eyes, so to speak, of, of the glory of who God calls mothers and, and single moms and, and wealthy moms and poor moms and from all the nations of the earth, even as God calls them his own inheritance that we would be partakers and that we would see and celebrate as a people that which God sees and that which God celebrates. So this is a message of rejoicing and it's a message of an invitation because we need something as a people that we can't get on our own by having, you know, a weekend service and a church service where we talk about 
moms and women and their glory and dignity. We need the Spirit of God to touch our hearts and open up our understanding to the glory and the dignity and the worth that God has for women. On Mother's Day, fathers and husbands, they panic. No, it's not in the notes, but... <laughs> they, they try, the sons and daughters, you know, the dads and the people in the room, they try and adequately communicate to that mother, maybe it's their own mother, maybe they live with a mother, they try and communicate the value of who they are. And moms, you know, get tons of not great chocolate and hand drawings, you know, thanks for giving birth to me, here's a hand-drawn moon, God bless you, you know. <laughs> but much of uh, what's emphasized in our culture you know, in the Hallmark aisle is the emphasis on, you know, the domestic life and, you know, you loved me and you cared for me and you kissed my boo-boos and you were there for me and all that. And a lot of the celebration of women has to do with the outward, has to do with the external. It has to do with a sense of value that's derived from the hard work the hard labor, making meals and driving kids across town and picking up from school and dropping off at soccer and spending hours and hours a week in a vehicle, you know, and hopefully your AC works. Hello? But I'm wondering if we're missing something related to the value and the worth of women because not all moms and not all women feel that way. They don't feel like they're out there just killing it and just hitting, you know, just hitting it out of the park every single time. A lot of them don't feel that way. When they wake up, they don't look in the mirror and feel that way. It's not reflected back to them, their value and their intrinsic worth apart from their output. They look in the mirror. They look around their house. They may not see a Joanna Gaines house. They may not see a Marie Kondo organized drawer. Let the reader understand. <laughs> Husbands, if your wife mentions the name Marie Kondo in your house, <sighs> buckle your seatbelts. <laughs> they don't see that. So, so what about the women and moms out there that feel like they're not measuring up to a cultural standard? What if they don't bake like Martha Stewart? What if they can't sing like Whitney Houston? Like what if, we're, what if we're just coming up short in all these areas? What about, what about them? Should they be celebrated? Do they have an intrinsic worth and an intrinsic value that's greater than the output of their life? What about the moms that are dysfunctional? What about the moms that are addicts? What about the women that that are messed up or are folks, you know, that are battling mental illness and in the struggle, what about those that have been abused and neglected and their life doesn't function in the way that it should? What about the women that have been married to five husbands and the one that they're living with isn't their husband now? John chapter four. What about them? How does God see them? Does he value them? And what is the measure by which we ascertain the value and the worth of a woman. 
The fact is, is that every mother, every woman is weak and broken and desperately needs the salvation that comes through the cross of Christ. That's true of everyone. But at the end of the day, we're all not perfect. We're all not gonna live up to some sort of societal or cultural standard where everybody is celebrating us. Our lives do not look like our social media accounts. In our social media accounts, we can project who we wanna be and we can repost the things that are so beautiful and look at this perfect birthday party. Look at this perfect room that I decorated for my kids. Look at this perfect haircut. You come back, the haircut does not look like that. The birthday does not look like that. The birthday sign had three Ps and happy. I mean, it's just, this is real life that we're in. And the cross of Christ points us to a worth and a value and an esteem that is higher than what is outward. It's higher than the way we feel. It's higher than the way we look. It's higher than the way we sound. It is more than that. And that's what I'm gonna talk about this morning. There are three key things that communicate the worth of mothers and women throughout the gospel. Number one is Christ's image. Number two is Christ's interaction with women that we see in the scripture. And number three is Christ's redemption. Let's look at Christ's image, number one. Genesis 1. Genesis 1. My notes are out of order here. Hang on a second. Verse 26. There it is. 27. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They'd have dominion over the fish, over the birds, over the cattle, over every creeping thing on the earth. Look at this, number, verse 27. God created man in his own image. Unbelievable. I mean, only mankind was created in the image of God, the human race. He created something out of his own transcendence and holiness. He's uncreated from everlasting, has no beginning of days, and yet he forms something out of himself that's in his image that is created and finite. It's us. God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created him. Look at this, male and female, he created them. When God in his holiness, in his person, the vast, infinite ocean of his glory and power, when he brings humanity in his image forth, he creates women in his image. And women display and reflect the glory of God in such a beautiful and distinct way, a way that is different from men. And you can't get the full revelation of God or the Father or the Son or the Spirit without knowing and relating to women. Because God created male and female in his image and there are particular characteristics that God has graced women with and graced mothers with that display something in his heart and women become a vehicle to show forth the glory and the majesty and the beauty of God that is hidden in him that would 
remain hidden had he not created women. Glory to God. Women were made with God or by God with rare capacities and characteristics that reflect his very person. They have, an inter, they have an ability to interact with a transcendent God. I'm gonna come back to that point probably several more times. I mean, this is remarkable that God created people to interact with him, to have fellowship with him, to live eternally where he lives, to redeem them with the blood of his own son, to give them an inheritance, to call them sons and daughters with no disclaimers. This is remarkable. And he's given women this great ability and this opportunity to come into oneness with a holy transcendent God, to be fully known by him and to know him forever and ever and ever. There are unique characteristics that women carry that men do not carry. There's the outliers, there's ways in which they overlap. But you often see it in, you know, a child's riding a bike, they fall, scratch their knee. A dad is going to say, get back on. And a mom's gonna say, come here and let me tell you and encourage you that you can do it again. There's a bringing in in the heart of a woman. There's a maternalistic revelation to be had about the heart of God because God does both. He both pulls us in to comfort us and encourage us and he also launches us out like an archer would fit an arrow in the bow and send us into our mission, our mission and our calling in God like the heart of the Father. John Calvin says this, he says, at our regeneration, that's the resurrection, we may, we may be made like God and his glory will shine forth in us. And when women are raised at that seventh trumpet in the resurrection, they will shine forth with God's glory. He takes his own glory and he puts it inside of women. And he says, you're my vessel, you're my vehicle, you're my daughter. You are the illustration of what I wanted to reveal to a fallen world. I want to shine forth my glory in you and through you. It's a holy thing. It's a trembling thing. It should make us pause and ask the question, am I relating to women as the image bearers of the glory of God? Do they talk to them like they're an image bearer of the glory of God? Do I relate to them like they're image bearers of the glory of God? When I see them, do I see that's an image bearer that's gonna reflect back to me the mysteries and the goodness and the power and the might of who God is? They're not just another person or another creature, they're made in the image of God, hallelujah. At the end of the story, paragraph C, all of humanity will be shocked when the full intent of God is revealed through his women, through his mothers. First John tells us that it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, meaning the full revelation 
of who the mothers are, the full revelation of who the redeemed women are throughout history has not yet been revealed, not even in this age, not fully. But when he is revealed, listen to this, they, I'm changing the word there, they shall be like him. They'll look like Christ. They'll radiate the glory of God. Their heart will overflow with songs of rejoicing and power and deliverance. It will come out of them. And the nations will see God's redeemed women and they'll tremble. They will tremble because they're vessels of his glory and they're vessels of his honor and they're vessels of his dignity. And they are a statement of how God feels about them and what he wants to reveal to the earth about his character and his nature. The apostle Peter, who is a husband himself, charges husbands in 1 Peter 3, verse 7, to dwell with their wives with understanding giving honor to them. I love the way that the show The Chosen depicts Peter. I think they've, I mean, it's, it seems pretty right on, you know, <laughs> if you've seen The Chosen. You know, Peter, he's this zealous guy. He's kind of brash. There's maybe more going on in the biceps than upstairs sometimes. <laughs> Few of us have that problem. <clears throat> I mean, you read the account in the Gospels, he's like saying things with so much zeal and very little wisdom, seemingly. Peter, I love you. And you can imagine that the conflict that he had with the other disciples and the conflict that he had with Jesus probably touched his own marriage. The own strength of his personality, his zeal to fix his wife, I promise, came out in their marriage time and time again. We know that he was married because Jesus heals his mother-in-law. And you can imagine the transformation that this brash, zealous, strong, fierce fisherman goes through from the time that he meets this rabbi who's so different than any other man he's ever met the way that Jesus relates to women, the way that he serves them, the way that he casts off the cultural and societal ways. He doesn't care. He doesn't care that she's a Samaritan. He doesn't care that she's a woman. He doesn't care that they're alone. He wants to give her Water that will spring up to eternal life. He wants her with him for all of eternity. And the disciples, they're seeing his interactions with these women. They're seeing the way that they fall at his feet and they're wiping his feet with their tears and they're lavishing their love upon him and he does not rebuke them. He does not condemn them. What with the spirit of gentleness and humility, he brings them dignity and honor and value and worth. And so you can imagine Peter, the brash fisherman, watching this 
for years, thinking about his wife likely back home and going, I gotta do this differently. This rabbi is blowing my mind in the way that he's relating to the woman at the well. He's blowing my mind in the way that he's relating to Mary of Bethany. He's blowing my mind in the way that he relates and loves his own mother, Mary. And Peter writes this letter, and he adds this verse. He says, husbands, dwell with them, meaning your wives, dwell with them with understanding. Notice what he doesn't say. And you can, you can hear the journey that Peter's been on to come to this conclusion. It's not dwell with them with all the facts. It's not get a scribe, husband, so that you know exactly what you said and exactly what she said. So when the conflict comes, you can be right. <laughs> Nervous laughter ripples he says this, he says, dwell with them with understanding. To understand who God has made them. To understand who they're called to be. To understand what they're feeling. To understand where they're at. To understand their emotions. To have empathy and compassion. Peter says, dwell with your wives with understanding. As a husband, that's probably the most hard thing to do. You learn it in marriage counseling, you know? Take marriage counseling class with Mike and Ann Rizzo. We did our marriage counseling class, you know, years and years ago, and we read that book, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. The only thing I remember is, in conflict, the man puts on the fix-it hat. He just tries to fix her. As much as I try and not put that hat on, I can't help it. I am Bob the Builder. I am, I am full on. I'm Bob Vila. I'm all the Bobs. I'm every Bob that is that's building and fixing. That is me. Whatever hat they have, I'm putting that baby on. And I'm like, no, 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 let me explain. Because if I explain it right, then you'll get it. And we, we can just have peace, you know. And Peter, you know, he put his arm around me, that muscular arm from the chosen guy, you know. be like, I've been here. Dwell with your wife with understanding. He probably wasn't good at it. He was writing this by the Holy Spirit. This probably wasn't Peter's journal. You know. <laughs> Give honor to your wife. Honor her. Love her. Celebrate her. See her. See her as an heir together in the grace of life. That means that every privilege and, and opportunity we have in the kingdom and the age to come, women, mothers, daughters, they're all there. We're all in the family of heaven, heirs of the grace of life, living eternally with the Father. We're one family before him. It's glorious. History has not treated women very well. And history's low view of women and their tragic treatment of women, I believe is directly connected to their low view of God. Because when God says that he made 
women in his image? We go, no, he didn't. When God bestows honor, we just go, no. And we don't live the way that Christ lived, and we don't have the heart or even contend for the heart that the Father has for women. And right now, I'm talking not just to the men in the room. I'm talking that women would have a heart for women in the way that God loves them and sees them as well. God suffers with women in their pain and trauma. Christ bore the grief and the sorrow of all humanity. We know that from Isaiah 53, but not just humanity, but in particular, because of this message, he suffered the grief and the sorrow of women. So wives that are out there that are going to their husbands, you can never understand what I'm feeling and going through. You know that there is one man who actually does. There's one man that's actually suffered and felt the grief or the loss or the pain or the trauma because his capacities, according to his divinity, enabled him to carry male and female grief and sorrow all the way to the cross. Do you know that? He knows the pain of rejection. He knows the pain of betrayal. He knows the pain of mistreatment and physical and emotional agony. He's acquainted with the pain of dysfunctional families and prodigals and the tension of relationships. These areas that many women and mothers feel and carry in them. And they're not, it's not just over one day. God can heal. He does bind up the brokenhearted. Jesus knows the pain of women in such a deep and profound way. I love this. Even in Jesus' most agonizing moments of suffering upon the cross, where he is bearing the sin of the world, his body has been mutilated, tortured, and he's suffering in the natural, he's suffering emotionally and he's suffering spiritually as the presence of the Father begins to withdraw off of him. Even in that moment, he remembered his mother. Isn't that beautiful? When he had every right to be completely selfish and completely caught up in his own pain and his own suffering and his own difficulty, even in that, he looks at the Apostle John, his, his beloved friend, that he would take care of his mother, Mary. He says, mother, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. On the cross, in the greatest hour of torment, this is the heart of Christ to women and mothers. He does not forget you. He does not neglect you. And even in the, in the midst of his greatest hour of suffering and trauma, his mother, a woman, is on his heart. It's beautiful. Christ's interaction. We've talked a little bit about it, but all throughout the Gospels, Christ interacts with women that breaks cultural and social barriers left and right. He doesn't care. It's not because he's trying to figure out what the boundaries are within the culture and break them but he's doing the will of his father. 
The culture of the day said that you don't talk to a woman. You don't talk to a Samaritan. You don't talk to a sitter. You don't dine with prostitutes. You don't do that. And Jesus said, I'm not here to do what the world tells me to do. I'm here to do what my father tells me to do. And we need to have that same posture to see and celebrate that which God sees and celebrates. To love, to show compassion, to show mercy, to show tenderness, to move in a heart that draws people into the grace of God so that they can experience the power of the gospel for themselves. The first person to recognize the incarnation was a woman, Mary, we know that. I mean, think of this, an angel appears and tells you the Holy One of God, Yahweh, is gonna be born. He's gonna enter into your womb. What? If there was ever a cultural, religious context to not talk about that and for that to not happen, it would have been during the time of Mary. To say that Yahweh is in my womb and I'm gonna give birth to the Son of God would have been the highest cultural faux pas, the greatest blasphemy, you know, worthy of stoning, worthy of ostracism, worthy of rejection, and all of that. And the Lord advances the divine purpose and narrative through this young girl, this young maiden they married. The first person that was willing to bear the offense that Yahweh would become flesh was also Mary. The first evangelist during the ministry of Jesus was a woman, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman in John chapter four. The first miracle that Christ performed was at the behest of a woman, his own mother, who told him and pleaded with him at the wedding in Cana to turn water into wine, to perform some miracle or something. It was her intercession that launched the Son of God's public ministry. The two resurrections that are mentioned in the Gospels were also at the behest of women, the widow of Nain and also Mary of Bethany. Both of their intercession pulled on the heartstrings of God that caused him to do the impossible and resurrect that which was dead. The only act of Christ that is called beautiful or the only act that Christ called beautiful was the act of a woman. In Mark 14, verse six, the ESV says that Jesus tells the disciples and those that are gathered in the house to leave Mary of Bethany alone. Listen, he says, why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. I'm reading from the ESV. Let's keep going, Christ's redemption. We talked about Christ's interaction, now Christ's redemption. The ultimate statement of the value of mothers and women is the cross. It's actually the cross. Because when we talked about earlier, what is, what is the way in which we assess the value? What is the standard by which we call something valuable or worthless? What is it that you call valuable or worthless? What is your standard of worth and value? I wanna tell you that the highest value in all of reality, heaven, hell, on the earth, history past, history forward, there is nothing more precious than the blood of Jesus himself, the Son of God. God incarnate that would come and suffer, that would open his own veins 
so that women could have eternal life in him. And the reason that they may, that may not strike you or touch your heart is because maybe we've become a little bit dull to the power of the cross. When the cross is rightly seen, when we understand what is happening and it profoundly moves our emotions and then we begin to examine what are the ramifications of the blood of Jesus being poured out upon sinners, being poured out on women and mothers, we see that there's a profound statement of God, the way that he feels about women, mothers, and daughters, he says, I will suffer for them. I will give my life that they would be with me in glory for all of eternity. This is the verse we started with, First Peter. Verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, meaning perishable things, but you were redeemed with precious blood. Your value is found in the precious blood. The precious blood is the revelation of the heart of the Father. How does he feel toward women? The Father poured out the precious blood to redeem women and mothers for all of eternity. There is no disputing that fact. There is no arguing that, that if you wanna see how God esteems women look no further than the precious blood poured out on Calvary. It's a cosmic and eternal statement of how he feels about them, of how far he's willing to go to redeem their lives from destruction, to set them on high, to give them an eternal name forever and ever and ever. Your life is meaningful. Your life is valuable. Your life is precious. It may not look Pinterest perfect, but it doesn't matter. Jesus came as the Pinterest perfect lamb to take away your sin, wash you, redeem you, and bring you into the purposes of the Father for all of eternity. Look down at the bottom here. We're almost done. Through the cross, God has stated that women are as valuable to him as the life of his own son. He would give his own son for women, for mothers, and he did. And I wonder if that same heart, if that same sacrificial love and honor, because when God honors us, it looks very different sometimes than the way we honor us. When God honors, he serves, he comes under, he celebrates. When God honors, he suffers, he bleeds, he sacrifices. When God honors. The idea in that cultural context, even that a man would suffer to give his life for women was unthinkable. And yet he came, he came from heaven, no one could stop him. No cultural faux pas, no cultural society standards could stop him from revealing the heart of God to women. And he said, you are worth it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross for you. He suffered for you. He wanted you with him forever. He wanted you 
He loves you and he cherishes you so deeply and profoundly. Amen. Let's have the worship team come out. Let's stand before the Lord if you'd like to. Holy Spirit, across this room right now, I ask for the presence of the Lord to touch our hearts. To touch our hearts. The men, the women, the children, the old, the young, every race, every ethnicity, every creed, every background. I ask for the Holy Spirit that is no respecter of persons to touch our heart with a profound revelation of the heart of God for women. I ask that you would uproot every lie of the evil one, every wrong way of thinking, every religious background that does not honor the word of God, every cultural background that does not honor the word of God, every experience that does not honor the word of God. I ask that you would uproot it, that you would tear down wrong mindsets concerning your beloved daughters, that you would tear down mindsets that perpetuate a worldly, carnal, demonic relating of women. In the midst of the battle right now, the battle rages across the earth, an ancient battle between the serpent and the woman. We ask you, Lord, that you would raise up mothers and fathers and sons and daughters and men and women, old and young, that would contend to have a heart that purely displays the heart of God towards women. That you would remove shame. Right now, I sense that there is shame coming to many of your minds, men and women. There's shame. Because you feel that you've done it wrong. And we all have. It is true. But your shame does not have to define your future. Your past does not have to define your future. And God wants to help you by the grace of the Holy Spirit. He wants to help me by the grace of the Holy Spirit to contend for a vision of women, to contend for a vision of mothers that honors the sacred desire within the heart of God. So Holy Spirit, come. We ask all across this room, Holy Spirit, come. We present ourselves before you. We ask for help. We ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. We ask for the help of a spirit of revelation. We ask for the help of the mercy of God. We ask for the help for the grace of God that you would cover our weaknesses. You would cover where we've come up short because we all have, some more than others. We all come before the cross. We all kneel before the cross of Christ, humbled, at your sacrifice, humbled at what you value and what you love. You love us. You love the person next to us. You love our mom. You love our daughters. You love us. And in that display of the cross of Jesus, we ask that the revelation of God would wash over us, that there would be a revival of our understanding. There would be a healing of hearts 
that you would restore, Lord, fractures between men and women, between mothers and sons, between husbands and wives. You would restore and heal and bind up. The Lord emphasized Luke 4.18 to us in this people. It's in his word. Jesus was anointed of God to preach the good news of God's redemptive power. He was anointed. He said, I am anointed over you, forerunner church. Christ is anointed over us. And he came to heal the brokenhearted. And he came to proclaim liberty to those that are captive in their thinking, captive in their actions, captive in their history. God is anointed to free you from the captivity. We ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would release the anointing of heaven through your Son. Even now, to every heart, hearts that are captive in shame, hearts that are captive in abuse, hearts that are captive, they've been abused or they were abusers. They're both captive. We ask that you would arise, O oh God. Stretch out your hand. Reveal your heart. Reveal your glory and your splendor. Set us free from our captivity. All across this room, the way men have related to women, the way women have related to women, the way daughters and sons have related to their mothers. Lord, release a tidal wave of the blood of Jesus to cover sin, to wash us clean, to give us fresh eyes to see that which you see. The Lord's stirring your heart this morning. You may feel tender. You may feel conviction. I don't know what's going on. I feel all of it to some degree. But you'd like to receive prayer. You'd like to present yourself before the Lord. Maybe it's breaking out of past things. Maybe it's laying hold of new things. Maybe it's a, a, a fresh resolve, a commitment to honor and to understand, to uphold. Others that have battled with comparison and envy towards one another, women towards women. You're saying, I want to be set free from this. Jesus is anointed of God to set you free. I just want to invite you, just come down to the front. Come and stand on these lines down here as a statement before heaven. He came to heal the brokenhearted. Maybe you've got a broken heart. Maybe your heart as a mother is pained over where your children are at. Come down to the front. Maybe your heart is pained as a husband or as a man for the way that you've treated women. You've got a broken heart because your past or your present, it's right in front of you. Even this morning, you're going, Lord, give me a new heart. Heal me. Wash me. He can deliver you. Come, Holy Spirit. The Lord is going to restore the dignity and the honor of women. And he's going to do it within the church. And he's going to do it before the coming of the Lord. The world is going to look at the church and see a profound love and honor 
and dignity in the way that the church relates to women. Come Holy Spirit. Let's release our ministry team and leaders to begin praying for those. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this Mother's Day. Thank you for mothers and daughters and women, Lord. We thank you that they've been made in your image. We thank you, Lord, that there is no power in heaven or hell or under the earth or on the earth that can overcome your heart for women and the power of the cross. We thank you. You're a holy God. You're a mighty God. You give beauty for ashes. You give joy for your mourning. The Lord wants to give many of you joy. He wants to restore what the enemy has taken. He wants to lift your head, set you on high, give you a new name, Hephzibah. The Lord delights in you. Come, Holy Spirit. Turn 